0: Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis about the actions of Abraham's character in a time of crisis and how he brings about peace with his nephew, Lot. Donate to support this program or download this message for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's Tom Cantor.
1: Okay, let's first of all look to
0: the Lord in prayer.
1: Father, we come to you and we're thinking of the verse in Psalm 119 where it says, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And so, Lord, we realize that we have eyes that need to be opened by God. We have a Bible, Lord, in front of us that has wondrous things in it that we can't see unless you open our eyes. So open our eyes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, turn in your Bible, please, to Genesis chapter 13, and we'll uh, read the text here, beginning at verse 8. Genesis 13, 8. And Abraham said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen. For we be men, remember that was the part that's in there that's missing. For we be men, for we be brethren, is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I'll go to the right hand. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him, all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward, or as the Hebrew is, as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked, and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, northward, southward, eastward, westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if the man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land, and the length of it, and the breadth of it for I will give it unto thee then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre which is in Hebron and built there an altar unto the Lord all right now in our last study we started a section that began in verse 7 with a crisis it was a crisis it was a very serious crisis it was a crisis over land it was a crisis over the best land it was a crisis over the land that was going to needed to support the flocks of Abraham and Lot. And this crisis started, as we saw, between the herdmen of Abram's flock and the herdmen of Lot's flock. But the crisis didn't stop there. It grew. And it grew to such a very serious proportion that in the end we saw Abraham describe it as a strife that was between Abraham and Lot. And now this crisis that we're in the middle of here is going to reveal the true character of Abraham in contrast with the true character of Lot. That's what crisis does. It shows what's really inside a person. I I like the way Pastor Jim used to say that what's inside the glass will be seen when the glass is bumped. (laughs) That's what he used to say. Did you ever remember him saying that? What spills, out? Oh, what spills out is the way he put it. Okay, good. Well, he's not here to correct me, so thank you, Don. But anyway, <laughs> but this is the crisis or the strife that has bumped Abraham. It has bumped Lot, and what's on the inside of them is going to be seen as it spills out. So Abraham's the man who prays. He's known by his altars to God and he is the man of verse 8, as we saw, the man who says, let there be no strife. He's the, those were words of principle. So Abraham is a man who is guided by principle, that there should be no strife among men, civil men, there should be no strife among brethren. And that's the character of Abraham a man guided by principle. And so we saw in our last study how Abraham was guided by this principle that let there be no strife. And because he was guided by that principle, Abraham tried everything that he could think of to make this strife stop. So we saw Abraham as he states principle, make it stop based on principle. As he says, I pray thee, make it stop, Lot, based on affection. As he says, we be men. Make it stop, Lot, based on the fact that we're not brute beasts. We're not savages. We're, we can have gentlemen's agreements here. We saw that. Make it stop, because we're brethren. We're family. And so we be brethren. So the man Abraham is guided by principle that there should be no strife, and he tries everything in his power to get a ceasefire. Finally, we see Abraham so guided by principle in verse 9, that he's just essentially, we're coming now in verse 9, where it's essentially he's saying, it just isn't worth it. This land is not worth the strife that's going on here. So Abraham says in verse 9, Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I'll go to the left. So Abraham is so guided by principle here, as he says in verse 9, he says, This strife has got to stop. And if I have to give up my pride and take the humble place in order for this strife to stop, then death to my pride. And if I have to give up this land in order for this strife to stop, then bye-bye land. So Abraham is saying here in verse 9, is not the whole land before thee. It's before you, Lot. It's all before you. See, God had given the land, all the land, the whole land, to Abraham. But here we see Abraham condescending and becoming very humble before Lot as he's essentially saying to Lot, Lot, here's the cake cutter. You cut your slice out of that cake. I'll take what's left. That's what he's saying. And so Lot, I set the whole land in front of you. The whole land there is before thee. It's very interesting the way Abraham said that has put this to Lot. In order to to see it clearly here, we have to see what's important to see is what Abraham was not saying to Lot and what Abraham was saying to Lot. For example, when Abraham said this statement, is not the whole land before thee, Abraham was not saying to Lot that the whole land was before Abraham, and Lot should simply ask Abraham for a part of the land that he wants, and then Abraham will make the final decision, if it's fair, to give. That's not what he was saying. Well, after all, all the land was given to Abraham. It was Abraham's, and so it would be appropriate for Lot to to ask Abraham for the part he wants, and then Abraham could decide if that was fair and if he wanted to give it to him, that's what he could do. Because God had said in Genesis 12, 7, the whole land is yours, Abraham, and your seed. And Lot was not part of Abraham's seed. So Abraham, he could have very easily been within his rights to invite Lot to make a request. But he didn't do that. In fact, when Abraham said to Lot, is not the whole land before thee, Abraham was giving Lot, complete control of the land and of the partition of and he's telling lot that lot you're in control and i'm going to adapt myself to your decision you tells him that up front so when abraham says to lot in verse 9 when abraham says separate thyself, i pray from thee abraham is not saying get out of my sight you know get away from me that's not what he's saying the word separate here has the meaning of spread So what Abraham is intending to say to Lot is that spread thyself. In other words, go expand already, you know, blossom and flourish, I pray thee, and even from me. So when Abraham says, I pray thee, again, it's this affection that Abraham is saying to Lot, that he was for Lot. Lot, I'm for you. I'm for you. You should spread out. You should. So here we see Abraham in a display, again, of great subjection, great submission to Lot as he's saying In verse 9, he says, if you take the left hand, I'll go to the right. If you take the right hand, I'll go to the left. So what we see Abraham doing here is to take his hands completely off the land and say, Lot, it's yours. It's the whole land is before you. That took a big man in Abraham to tell Lot that. In other words, Abraham was saying to Lot that he could choose, Abraham, I'll take what's left. And so when we're wronged, the first thing we think of is our rights and what was taken from us and how unfair it all was. And it's, it's just not easy to do what Abraham did. It's not easy at all. And how could Abraham do it? Because he knew that God did not want there to be a fight between him and Lot. And he did that because he's guided by this principle in verse 8, let there be no strife. So for Abraham, when the glass was bumped, what spilled out was principle and humility and condescension. See, Abraham, he makes this big choice here. He could, have, he could have put Lot in his place. He could have told Lot what land he could take for his flock. And in that way, Abraham would have conquered Lot and his ambitions and all that and put him in his place. That was one choice, that Abraham, but Abraham made another choice, and instead of conquering Lot, Abraham conquered his own pride, and he yielded to Lot in order to keep the peace between them. So what Abraham did was exactly what it says in Matthew 5, 38-42, when it says, when the Lord Jesus Christ said, you heard that it's been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you that you resist not evil. This was evil. What Lot was up to here. And so the Lord said, You resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other. Also, if any man sue thee at the law, take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh, and for him that would borrow of thee, turn not away. Now, by contrast of Abraham, what we see in Lot, when his glass is bumped, what we see spilling out, is Genesis 13, 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. So Abraham looks at Lot and he says, let there be no strife. And by contrast, Lot does not look back at Abraham and say, yeah, we shouldn't have any strife. But Lot looks at the land. He looks at the land. And there's something about that phrase in verse 10 that just sums up Lot, where it says, Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan. See, that phrase just sums up what charms Lot in his life. What's charming to him in his life? And because it was what he saw with his eyes, that phrase shows the contrast with Abraham. See, Abraham was was charmed, by what he saw in his heart, what he saw in heart. In his heart, there was strife, and there should be peace. It's charmed him to have peace, see? But Lot, he was charmed what he saw. Lot was charmed by what was physically beautiful, the outward. Now, if Abraham's a man who's guided by principle, Lot is a man who's guided by sight. So with Abraham's offer, Lot says to himself, Oh, now we're talking, this is Lot. He said, this is my lucky day. You know, he's saying, an opportunity like this comes around once in a lifetime, and you betcha you I'm going to take it. I hear opportunity knocking, so step aside, Abraham. And as, as I open the door, i got a lot of choosing to do right here now. So with an offer like this, i got to make a very careful choice. And he couldn't see all the land, so, you know, there's some survey going on in his mind. But anyways, he's out, he's out to make the best choice. Now, that was painful for Abraham to see. Lot kind of act this way. It's painful for Abraham to see what spilled out of Lot. Because Abraham, he doesn't say a word. He just stands by as Lot considers the land and what he would choose. And what's ironic about this is that when you talk about beautiful, because that's what Lot is looking at, you talk about beautiful Lot had in front of him something far more beautiful than gorgeous pasture land. See, Lot had in front of him, and he was seeing this, the inward beauty of Abraham's character. He had in front of him a beauty that was described, if you like to turn to this very important verse in Psalm 90, verse 17. Psalm 90, 17, it speaks about this beauty That's here, and it talks about it, and it says it like this. It says, And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. See, that's wonderful. It it says that. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. See, Abraham let the beauty, the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon him. When the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth, he had no outward beauty. As it says, it says that in in Isaiah 53, 2, it says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So he's described, as, as the Lord Jesus Christ is described in his outward appearance as a man in whom there was no beauty that anyone should desire him. That's the case. So what beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ did Abraham have upon him. It's the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ which is described in Philippians 2. That's beautiful when it says there, Philippians 2, 5 through 8, let this mind or this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So Abraham had let the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ or the mind or the attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon him or in him And that's the same beautiful mind or attitude that we're called to have. It says, let this mind, let this attitude be on you, be in you. Dad, you've talked before about the life of Abraham, and you brought up the Hebrew word for riches, which means heavy. How have you experienced riches to be a heaviness in your life? You know, David, I'm glad you asked that question because... It's true that riches can be a great weight. You know, what's very, very important is to go with God into life as a student and let him teach you. You know, Paul described being a student in life with God in Philippians 4, 11-13 when he said, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned— That's the words of a student. I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. So what Paul is saying here is that he has learned how to be content. And then he goes on in verse 12 to describe the conditions in which he has learned to be content. And he calls his learning a knowing how to. He says in verse 12, I know both how to be abased and i know how to abound everywhere and in all things i am instructed both to be full and to be hungry both to be abound and to suffer need so what he's saying here is that the great lesson that he has learned in life with god the teacher himself the student is how to be content how to be happy how to be satisfied, how to feel that he has enough. He has learned this when he is in the state of being pushed down or abased and when he's in the state of abounding, in other words, with riches. So he's learned this contentment when he doesn't have what he calls being abased and when he does have. And he says how he learned this is he said, everywhere and in all things I am instructed. So he learned this by letting God instruct him. So when he had riches, he said, Lord, I'm your student. Instruct me what to do with these riches. When I don't, I'm still your student, Lord. Instruct me what to do. He said that he was instructed both to be full and to be hungry. In other words, to suffer needs he said, both to abound and to suffer needs. And the principle which he explains all this under is in verse 13, where he said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So the key is the Lord Jesus Christ, who strengthens him in how to be happy when he's poor and how to be happy when he's rich. Now, you might say, who needs to be strengthened and who needs to be taught Uh, when they're rich? Oh, very much. Because riches bring a certain desire. They bring a certain discontentment with them. And riches have a way of just vanishing, just disappearing. It doesn't matter if a person wins the lottery today. Tomorrow, they're a pauper. They don't have anything. This is what Solomon, king of Israel, was meaning when he said in Proverbs 23, 5, riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. And he starts off that statement by saying, wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? In other words, riches cause a person to look for things which cannot satisfy, houses which cannot satisfy, cars which cannot satisfy, possessions which cannot satisfy. All of those things, riches bring this disease of needing to, I want this and I want that. And it's called setting the eyes on that which is not. But, by contrast, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, having God, godliness, having God, and being content, saying, I can from all things parted be, but never, never, Lord, from thee. In other words, saying, all I need in the world is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the great gain. He's the great treasure. If I have him, I'll be content. That's called godliness with contentment. And that's described by Paul in this First Timothy 6, 6 verse as being in a state of great gain, of having abundance, a great gain to have this. In other words, to put riches in their place and to say, Lord this money is only tools. Sometimes my toolbox is full, and I look to you for what I should do with this money. Give me wisdom for how to use the tools, what to do with the tools, what to do with the tools, what to do with the money. That's what it means when he says, I am instructed both to be full. But then when we don't, then when we are in a state of we don't have money, that's not such a bad thing because that drives us to God. See, that's a great change when you go from having money to not having money or, or not having money to having money. Those are changes, and the changes themselves are disturbing, but it's the changes that drive us to God. And this is what David, king of Israel, said in Psalm 5519 when he said, God shall hear and afflict them, for he that abideth of old, because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. You know what's a terrible to go through life is not to have any changes. Show me a person who has a steady as you go, stable life, no changes, easy street, and I'll show you a person who thinks they don't need God. Because, and I'll show you a person who fears not God. Because David said, because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. But when a great change happens to us, then we're in a state where we think, oh my, what on earth am I ever going to do? I thought this day would never come. I feared this day would come. Life changes. When a person dies, of course, it really changes for the person who dies. But apart from that, the other people who are surviving— life changes for them. Life changes, and that is designed by God to cause us to fear him, to bring us to him, to drive our hearts to pray to him. And therefore, David says, you show me a person who has no changes, I'll show you a person who doesn't fear God. And so we should welcome these changes. When riches come, set not your heart on them the Bible says. Don't set your heart on What does it mean to set your heart on riches? Don't think of yourself as, I am a rich person because I have riches. Don't do that. Don't do that. But because that's exactly the state that that God said to the church of Laodicea, because thou sayest in Revelation 3, because thou sayest, I am rich and have need of nothing, that was their state of desperacy, that they said they were rich and had need of nothing. And they didn't know that they were poor, miserable, blind, and wretched. So therefore, welcome these changes. We should welcome these changes because I will there's one change I will never go through, and that change is to be without the Lord Jesus Christ, because He said. I will never leave you nor forsake you, and that should bring us the greatest contentment.
0: Thank you for listening to Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. It's your listenership and support of the Friendship with God radio program and Israel Restoration Ministries that allows us to reach over 1.5 million Jewish people a year with the gospel, not just through this radio program and how you help us to reach out to Jewish people, but also through our Jewish evangelism outreaches with IRM missionaries that go door to door with the gospel in 18 different U.S. cities, and also from South America to Israel to Canada, getting the gospel out to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, if you'd like to support the gospel going to a Jewish person that you know with a free gospel gift from Tom Cantor with his life story and DVD booklet, go to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org to fill out the free online form or call us at 1-800-247-3051. It's your listenership and support of the Friendship with God radio program and Israel Restoration Ministries that allows us to reach over 1.5 million Jewish people a year with the gospel. You can also call us to donate and keep this program on the air, or you can go to friendshipwithgod.org and donate online. Call us today at 1-800-247-3051. Donate to support this program, 1-800-247-3051.